You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'll go ahead and grab a seat. I promise we're going to uh, sing some more later, but we're going to go ahead and dive into Scripture. One thing I love about that song is it's just kind of, it, it even feels big. So the words are these big, kind of grandiose, but true ideas. And, and even the, the feel of the song, the, the music or the melody, the rhythm is big. And what I like about that is it's a true, accurate, good reflection of who God is. That there's really nothing better than Him. Amen? There's nothing, by the way, some of y'all, it's been a long time. A lot of our college students, glad you're back. Good to see you guys. Um, but there's nothing better than Jesus. And the reality is what we've been seeing in Colossians, go ahead and turn to Colossians 3 if you have your Bible. I hope you do. But what we've been seeing is that because of who Jesus is, because he is supreme, because he is better than anyone or anything, because he is preeminent, that who he is, our relationship with him should overflow into every aspect of our lives. Again, Colossians 3, if you're, if you're looking for it. But it should flow into every aspect of our lives, our relationship with Jesus. So here's the reality. What happens at church doesn't stay at church, right? You heard that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? You can say that about anything. But you shouldn't say that about your relationship with Jesus. What happens with your relationship with Jesus shouldn't stay just with you. What happens in your quiet time with God shouldn't stay in your quiet time. It should impact everything. Jesus is so good. He's so big. He should change every aspect of your life. Hey, I'm kind of, TJ, it may just be me. I'm getting like kind of a ring up on stage. I'm sorry, man. Thanks, brother. TJ's the man. Um, he changes everything. And one of those being the, you already have a hint on the screen. He should influence, he should change, he should impact our work. So the question this morning is, if you've been raised with Christ, how does being raised with Christ, so how does having a relationship with Jesus change the way you work? How should it change the way you approach your work if you've been brought from death to life and now have a relationship with Jesus? I told you Colossians 3, I should turn there too. (laughs) Colossians 3, jump in, excuse me, in verse 22 with me. Bond servants... Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid for the wrong he has done, there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So you may, as we read that, you may be going, wait a second, I thought he said we were talking about work, and we're talking about bondservants and masters. What in the world is going on here? Let's, we're not gonna, that's not what the sermon is about, but let's unpack this for a second, just so we're clear. When I think about understanding the Bible and hermeneutics, which is the the science, the art of interpreting the Bible, you have to remember that a lot of time has passed since this was written, right? So you've got kind of their world, so to speak, and our world, but the truth is the same. Here's how I would demonstrate that. 
We live in the great state of? Amen, all right. In Texas, I don't know if you guys know, Texas is big, right? I remember when my wife and I, or I was already out here, but when I, um, we got married, and uh, I just said when I was already out her, when I was already out here, uh, and we got married uh, and drove from Florida to here, it felt like we made it to Texas in no time. And it was like, yeah, we're in Texas. And then it was like four days later, we got to Lubbock. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but that's kind of how it felt. But what's cool about Texas, as big as it is, there's, there's like different worlds, a whole new world, and all different parts of, of Texas. So you've got, you go to South Texas, you could go to the beaches. This is why some would say that Texas is the best state ever. Um, I think it's the best state. You haven't sold me on this, the prettiest state, but it's the best state. I'll give you that. I'm going to get jumped later, probably. Anyways, uh, you can go to the beaches in South Texas. You go to East Texas. And while it's been a long time since I've been there, my memory is that it's kind of like where I grew up, lots of big trees. And yet East Texans in here, see some heads nodding. Yeah, big pine trees, lots of flowers, very green. Um, you've got Central Texas, you've got the hill country, and then you've got the best part of Texas, West Texas, right? Which it really is awesome. And we're known for our... <laughs> Did someone say meat? <laughs> we're known for our sunsets, right? I feel like that was an easy one. I feel like anytime somebody says, yeah, okay, here, here this is good. Man, I'm, I'm totally chasing rabbits. I feel like if you didn't grow up here, you're like, but well, they're pretty good. But if you're from Lubbock, you're like willing to die over that, right? You're like, dadgummit, no one touches our sunsets. I remember somebody posted a picture one time they were visiting uh, Italy or somewhere, and they posted a picture of this beautiful sunset in Italy, and it said, ain't Texas. <laughs> that was their caption. Anyways, I'm really all over the place. I say all that to say because as many different worlds as there are in Texas, it looks so different. There's even mountains in Texas, right? Uh, the Guadalupe's, is that right? They're apparently very famous. <laughs> the, the Guadalupe Mountains, I think I'm saying that right. Yes, I see some more heads nodding. Yeah, Florida boy needs some affirmation here, okay? Um, or confirmation. Anyways, all kinds of different places in Texas where it looks very different, but by golly, no matter what, you're in Texas, right? The last true America. Just kidding. <laughs> My wife's not here, I'm out of control. <laughs> totally different places, you're still in Texas. What is the rules, the laws of Texas in South Texas as different as that geographically, geographically looks than here? Same thing. When you think about the world of the Bible in our world, I like to use the idea of Texas. There's been a lot of distance between when it was written and our world today. Our worlds look very, very different. But whether you go back 2,000 years to Paul's world or the world of Jesus or to our world today, the same truth applies. So think of it like this. Like if you think of I-20 as a timeline, if I go way East Texas all the way to El Paso, uh, those places look very, very different, but you're still in Texas. If you, again, if I-20 is kind of the idea of the timeline, go back to Paul's world, go to our world today, the worlds look very different, but the truth is still the same. Y'all with me? So the, the way the truth um, plays itself out, you could say is applied, looks different, but the truth doesn't change over time. Amen? So we, let's just lean into that for a second. We don't say, well, you know, that, their world was different, but times are changing, so now the Bible changes. No, that's, that's, that's not true. 
if that was true, then I'm just gonna quit doing what I do because like, if this is all relative and just up for grabs, like, what, what are we doing here? Amen? So it's true then, it's true now, but the, the world looks different. So clearly, as we read this, talking about bond servants and masters, they lived in a different time. We don't want to, let me say this, for sure, does slavery still exist today? Absolutely. Human trafficking. That's why we uh, give to organizations like A21 to, to stop human trafficking. Millions are still in slavery today, so that's a real thing. But it was that, what we're talking about today, is very different than what was going on in Paul's world. I don't want to romanticize what was going on here in Paul's world, but it was different. A couple things to know. So the word here, bondservant, is doulos. And the idea is that it was a, there was actual contract between the servant, the bond servant, and the master. Typically in the in, uh, first century Rome, that would last for about seven years. Once that seven years was up, they, they were free to go. And not only that, the, the master would, while it was small, they would pay the bond servant, um, and they were declared a free person, completely free. Kind of interesting. Uh, I think it was a good thing, but about one third of the population in first century Rome were bond servants. One third. Beyond that, just show you the difference in what we think of a, like the terrible slavery that went on in 19th century America, how it was different from, from Paul's world. It wasn't about race. So it wasn't about the oppression and, and treating one race unjustly. It was anybody could be put into uh, slavery or servanthood as a bond servant in that culture, in that time. So it, it was a different world than maybe we think about in the American history of slavery and certainly than we see today with human trafficking. All that said, Paul's goal wasn't to, in this passage, wasn't to talk about slavery or being a bond servant, whether it's right or wrong. He was trying to say, well, obviously the Bible does not condone slavery. What he was giving them in this text was, hey, it's a reality that a third of you in the Roman Empire are bond servants. And he wanted to give them the tools. He wanted to equip them to live for Christ in that reality. Make sense? And here's what's cool. God today, in whatever reality you live in, he wants to give you the tools to live for Jesus, to live for the one only worth living for. And so, again, you think about Texas, and so that was their world, and if you drive down I-20 to, to our world today, I really do think the best, and really most scholars and preachers agree with this, the best modern-day equivalent to a reality to what Paul was addressing there is work. He's a, a addressing our work lives. And, and even beyond that, I would say, where my students at? Addressing student life, not like the organization student life, <laughs> or camp, but your life as a student. And some of you are like, yes, I do feel like a bond servant sometimes in school, right? Like I'm a slave to this professor. Um, he's addressing. So again, we go back to our question, how should being raised with Christ change the way you work? Because it should change it. Let's read this passage one more time, kind of knowing their world, knowing our world, not, be throwing, not being thrown off too much by the words and see what we find. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. 
For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So what's the first thing we see from this text? Is that you should give your best to whatever you're given at work. So since you've been raised with Christ, since you've been brought from death to life, you have this new relationship with Jesus who's bigger, better than anyone or anything. Because of that, goes back to Colossians 3 verse 1, since you've been raised with Christ, you should give your best to whatever you're given at work, whether that be as an employee or whether as a student. When your authority gives you something to do, you should give it your best. Again, we, normally we don't, we don't see that connection. We see Jesus, church, and everything else in my life. He's saying, no, I wanna meld these together. Because of your relationship with Christ, do your best, give your best at whatever you're given. And I love, here's, here's what's so cool about scripture. It's not just a bunch of rules. He, he tells you why. So one, because you've been raised with Christ, and, and even before he gets to why here, he talks about how we should do this. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. What, is that, what does that mean? We're gonna get crazy. I'm gonna let you talk to me. What, what does that mean? Not by way of eye service. You only do good when your boss is around. So you're, you're, you're playing wiffle ball, you're playing ping pong, but the boss comes by and you're like, and so these documents really show that our architecture here is looking good. <laughs> like, what did you just say? Yeah, you, you don't just do good when your boss is looking. You give it your best all the time, not just eye service. As people pleasers, he says, so you're not just trying to please your boss, just make them think you're doing a good job but with sincerity of heart. So you're gonna give it your best. You're gonna work from your heart. You're gonna dig in and dig deep. He says, why? Fearing the Lord. So again, I said, I love scripture because it doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us why we do it. It says, because you're, you should be fearing the Lord as you do your job. He unpacks that a little more. Whatever you do, so literally, whatever. It's interesting, there's the Greek there, it, it means whatever, <laughs> anything being stupid, sorry. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So again, there's the idea of sincerity of heart, working heartily, giving it your all. Why? As for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He's going to tell us again, you're serving the Lord Christ. So question, he's made it really clear. When you work, who are you working for? The Lord. Yeah, it's not Man, the man's got me down, right? The system. No, when you do your work, you're working for the Lord Christ. That's ultimately who your boss is. And he says, you should remember and know that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance. So ultimately, yes, you, at whatever place of work you have, you feel like your, your boss, your, your leader, they have authority over your, your uh, pay package, your salary, your benefits, whatever. But he's saying, ultimately, if you know Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, Ultimately, your reward is in his hands. So you want to work not for your earthly authority, earthly employer. You ultimately want to work for Jesus because he's the one who's going to reward you for your hard work. By the, just to be clear, he's not saying you can earn your way to salvation, you can work hard, but he's saying as a Christian, because you've been saved, work hard. The Lord's going to honor that. And then he, this one little thing, verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done there's no partiality. I, I think primarily he's speaking to, he's saying, hey, look, when you work, work hard, work for the Lord, not for men, 
because the Lord's going to reward you. And by the way, if your employer, if your boss is treating you wrong, treating you unfairly, the Lord's going to handle that. Justice will be served. And your boss can't get to heaven and be like, oh, come on, Jesus, you know, it's me. We all good. Like, no, he's going to have to give an account for how he treated you. So trust the Lord with that. I think, I think that's primarily what he's saying. But I do think there, we could also understand, just it's a good reminder to all of us, that if you don't work hard at your job, like the, the wrongdoer will be punished. You don't work hard at your job. You don't work hardly for the Lord. You don't give it your all. You're going to give an account for how you worked. And again, you can't be like, oh, come on, Jesus. You know, it was me. We good. We bros. Like, no. Yes, you're his child if you've been raised with Christ, but you're going to give an account for the work that you do. Are you faithful with what you've been given? Do you give your best to what you've been given at work in whatever you do? Don't be alarmed. <clears throat> Often, I, I think we, we have this idea of um, sacred and secular. So like... Uh, my, my church life is very important, but then I go to work and, and do whatever I want. I remember um, there was a man uh, in Itasca, Texas, the church I served at before I came here. Steve Sawyer, he wrote a song called From the Altar to the Door. I'm looking at some of my Itasca friends. Some of y'all may remember that. From the Altar to the Door. And, he, and he was, the song was about this idea that we come to church and, God, I give you my all. And then we go out to the rest of, we go through the door to the rest of life and we just kind of go haphazardly. This, this text is teaching us that even our work life should be done as to the Lord, done unto the Lord. It makes me think of uh, verse 17 of chapter three. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, I think Richard preached on this. Um, not sure, Richard, you, you covered this here, in here. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, whatever you do, including your work, do it for God. So here's the idea. At work, we often, there's certain things that we want to give it our best because we like those things or we see how it connects to God, what, whatever your career field may be. So we're like, oh, my boss wants me to do this big, important thing that may lead me to get a raise. Oh, I'm going to shoot this arrow. I'm not going to throw it. Don't worry. I'm going to shoot this arrow right at the target. I'm going to do my best. I want to be really careful. Oh, my boss asked me to help the custodians take out the trash. Psh, I ain't got time for that. Don't we? We take the things we want to really important. The things, there's some things that we're like, ah, it's beneath me. I'm not going to give it the time or day. No, what Paul's saying is whatever you do, whatever your leader, your employer gives you to do, do it heartily. Shoot it to hit the bullseye, not for you, not for them, but because you're doing it as to the Lord. So here's, again, there's not this, some things are important, some things are not important, sacred, secular. No, all things are important because all things are for who? Thank you, yeah, for Jesus, for the Lord. A.W. Tozer said, it's not what a man does that makes his work sacred or secular, it's why he does it, right? It's not what you do that makes it, oh man, you're really spiritual. Why do you do it? Is it for you or is it for the Lord? Whatever you've been given at work, if you've been raised with Christ, give it your best because it's for him, it's to honor him. And you say, well, man, you don't know, my boss is a jerk. Maybe they are. 
I would encourage you with two things. Remember who you're doing it for. And two, maybe it's worth considering, are you part of the problem? My teacher, they, I just, my, my teacher just hates me. It's possible, but most teachers don't go into the teaching business because they hate students. <laughs> Why are you a teacher? I hate students. I just want to be mean to them all day. <laughs> no. Are you the problem? Maybe you would say, man, my, my, my life feels so mundane. Like my work, the, the arrows I've been given to shoot at work are so lame and so mundane. Like I just hate them. I'd encourage you to be faithful with the little you've been given. Be faithful. It doesn't mean like, and when you're faithful, God will bless you and you'll have riches beyond compare. Like, no, I'm not saying that. But be faithful. God, God does honor that. Even if it's not so heaven, he, he honors that. I knew guys in, in uh, college, I, I, my first church, I literally had, I started with two students in the youth group and they were brother and sister. Um, so, I mean, like, when, when we had two more students, I mean, we, were, we doubled the youth group in, like, three weeks. It was, God was working, man. <laughs> but there, there were guys uh, who, when I was fixing to leave the seminary, and uh, I was going to have to leave at church because I was moving to Texas, and there were guys that wouldn't, I would say, man, like, I, I thought like you'd be a good fit for this church, and I think God could use you, and I see your love for, for ministry and for the Lord, for students, and because it was a small church, because it was a small youth group, because it was beneath them, they didn't give it the time or day. And you know what's sad? Every single one of those guys that I'm, that I'm thinking of that that was the case, who were like, nah, I'm not gonna do that, man, it's too small. None of those guys ever went into ministry. I'm not saying like, oh, it's about ministry. My point is like, that was, they had their heart set on, well, I'm gonna do big things for God. I'm gonna do these big things. But because they wouldn't work heartily, even in the small things, they never even got a chance. Sorry, whoever's iPad that is. <laughs> Be faithful with the little things. Y'all with me? Give it your best. Not so you can get a raise, not so you can be awesome. Give it your best because you're working for Jesus. I, that applies to all of us. The reality is that some of you have even more responsibility because you're to do that, you're to serve the Lord, but also you lead teams. And some of you, you don't lead a team now, but very likely there's gonna come a time where you lead a team. Listen to, to what Paul says to masters, to leaders. He says, verse, uh, chapter four, verse one. We made it chapter four, woo -hoo. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I'm gonna read it one more time because it's so short. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So here's the second and final thing we really see from this text. Since you've been raised with Christ, you should be good to your team. Because you've been raised with Christ, you should lead your team well. He says, be, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. So again, Big state of Texas, our side of I-20, our world. To the team you lead, be good to them. Treat them justly and fairly. And again, he's not, he doesn't just say because, or like just because I said so. He gives us a reason. 
knowing, halfway through the verse, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he's saying, remember, I don't care how powerful you are, how high up an organization you are, I don't care if you started the company, the buck doesn't stop with you because you have a master in heaven, amen? All of us are under authority, no matter how much power you think you have. So he says, be good to your team, to treat them justly and fairly, the people under your um, leadership, that God's given you responsibility to, to lead and to manage, if you will. Be good to them. Treat them justly and fairly because you also have a master in heaven. He says knowing. So it's kind of like, hey, uh, remember, bro, remember, girl, you, you have a master in heaven. You're to reflect your master the way he's treated you to the people you lead. It makes me think about a story in Matthew 18 it's about forgiveness, the story I'm referencing. You're welcome to turn there if you want. Um, just kind of give you the short version. But uh, it's about forgiveness, but I think it helps us understand this concept that Paul's given us here in chapter four, verse one. Jesus is talking about forgiveness, and he tells a story. Jesus was uh, apt to do that. He loved telling stories when he preached. And um, he, he said there was a king, and he had decided he, the people that owed him debt, it was time to pay. So one of his servants was brought before him, uh, brought before the king. And to, if you look at the modern day equivalent, I was doing the math last night to double check. And I think I'm pretty, pretty close on this. This man owed the king a modern day equivalent of about 10, I think it was 10, $10 billion. Whatever it was, it was in the billions. I started counting zeros and you kind of start getting lost after a while, right? That's a lot of money in the billions of dollars. That he, that he owed this king. Well, it says the servant fell down on his knees and begged, please, oh king, please forgive me, because the king was fixing to throw him and his family in jail and make him pay the debt, which I don't know how you pay billions of dollars unless you're, does Bill Gates even have billions of dollars? Probably so. Anyways, uh, he begs for his life. He begs to be forgiven. It says the king had mercy on him. He's like, I, I'm gonna, not just like, oh, okay, it's cool. He forgave him the debt. So it's wiped free. It's clear, it's clean. You don't owe me anything. Well, then it says the servant or this man leaves the presence of the king. He's walking down the Jewish highway and he sees one of his servants who owed him, I think it was 100 denarii, which is about the equivalent of $20,000. $20,000 is a lot of money, right? Can we just say that? Like someone owed you 20 grand, that's a lot of money. But compared to billions of dollars, man, nothing right? He, he literally, literally just left the king's presence, been forgiven billions of dollars. He sees this dude who owes him $20,000. He's not like, hey, I need to talk to you. He grabs him by the throat and starts choking him out. It's in the Bible. Jesus told this story. I'm not making it up. He starts choking him out. Where's my money? <laughs> Which like, someone has some anger issues, right? <laughs> like, chokes him out. And the other servants watching are like, not cool, bro. <laughs> Which is fair. You just were forgiven billions of dollars. Moments later, you're walking down the street and you're gonna choke this guy out. Sorry, the image makes me laugh. It's not funny. You're gonna choke this guy out for 20 grand, which is a lot of money, but comparably is nothing. You were forgiven, but you won't forgive. So they go and tell the king and the king is not happy. I forgave you, but you won't forgive him. I treated you with I treated you justly and fairly, to use Paul's words. I think that's a fair way to describe that. I treated you justly and fairly. I was more than that. I was merciful to you. And you won't pass that on to others? 
you thought you were in trouble. (laughs) Now you're really in trouble. God expects us, even if you're high up on the org chart, (laughs) he expects you, if you've been raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, he expects you to lead in a way that reflects the kind of leader he is. He expects you to treat your team in a way that reflects the way he treats his people. Your leadership, the way you even manage people, should reflect that you have a kind, good, loving, just God. Amen? That when people look at your leadership, It's winsome. So there's something different about that way that person leads. They don't lead with a fear mindset of just trying to make me scared so I'll obey them and do what I'm told. They they lead out of love. Which, by the way, do you have tough conversations even when you love somebody? For sure. Actually, I would say, like, you do have tough conversations if you love somebody because you want what's best for them. You want them to grow. If you've been raised with Christ, be good to the team that you lead. Whether that's all the way from their, what they're paid to the way you talk to them. And what I love about this is you know, God, God puts his money where his mouth is. And more than just money. But like, so God's not like, hey, appreciate your ministry. Sure do love you. You're awesome. But then like doesn't actually take care of us. Right? He takes care of us. So as leaders, we shouldn't just be like, appreciate you. You're awesome. But then treat our people like poo, uh, poo, sorry. I, <laughs> I was gonna say another word, but I can't say that word. <laughs> Y'all track it with me? If you've been raised with Christ, treat your people justly and fairly. Be good to your team. We'll finish with this. Why, <clears throat> why? <laughs> why is this in the Bible? Like, we've gone from these grandiose, mountaintop vision, I say vision, like it, it, getting these clear pictures of who Jesus is through Colossians. And now it seems like we could be in the, in the weeds of your work life. Why is this in the Bible? It's because we're prone to compartmentalize things, right? We talked about this a little bit earlier. We, we like to say, I got my school life. I got, by the way, I, I didn't say this earlier. I just want to be real clear. Like, Students, I really do think, we talked about last week, one of the most Christian things you can do is obey your parents. One of the most Christian things you can do is do your best at school. How many of your teachers and professors may think differently about Jesus if their best students were Christians? All right, moving on. Back to the conclusion. We like to compartmentalize, I got my church life, I got my school life, I got my work life, I got my family life, I got my sports life, whatever it is. Over and over again, we see in Colossians, really through all of scripture, that Jesus, because he is preeminent, because he is supreme, as Colossians 3, 17 says, but because he's so good, everything in life should revolve around him. All of my life should be about him. That's why this is in the Bible. Even your work life, no matter what it is, whatever you do, it should be for him. Because there's, there's nothing better than him. There's no one that satisfies like him. You say, well, that sounds selfish of God. The reality is it's not selfish of God because if our greatest chance 
for ultimate, our highest chance, or no, sorry, our greatest chance to experience the highest amount of pleasure, of joy, delight, is found in our relationship with God. It's not selfish of God to say, I want you to live for me. I want you to come to me, right? If I say, hey, I know where the best steak place is in town, and I don't, I like, don't tell you where it's at, that's selfish. If I say, I know the best place to get you a steak, and I tell you where to find it, that's, that's loving, right? It's at my house, not really. God isn't being selfish when he says, everything in life should be about me. It's not selfish because when we make everything in our life about him, we do it for his glory. That's where the most satisfaction is. That's where the most delight and joy is. It's not about just what you do. It's not what you do brings delight as you do it for God. And the reality is, I kind of shared this with the worship center a few weeks ago, this similar idea. We could talk about whatever you do and all these different arrows. When it comes down to it, you get one life. You get one shot, one opportunity, as Eminem said, right? You get one shot, and if you shoot your arrow for anything other than Jesus, if you aim it for any other reason or other purpose than Jesus, it's going to fall short. It's going to burn up eternity. It's not going to last. Over and over again in Colossians 3, he's saying, because of who Jesus is, because of your relationship with him, whatever you do in word or deed, with your family, with your work, with your kids, whatever, do it for Jesus. Aim it for the glory of God. Don't waste your life. It's time that people see the kingdom at work. When you serve the king at work or in school, people see the king. We want them to see him. We're going to enter a time of response to the song. I told you we're going to sing some more. Um, but I want you to know, uh, myself and some of the pastors will be, as we're singing and worshiping, we'll be back at the Welcome Center. And if you're like, man, I want to talk to somebody about what that looks like to, to honor God and all I do at work or in school. And we'd love to talk with you. We have a room over here. We get to, it's not a creepy room. It's a room over there with some couches and windows. It's very open. Um, we'd love to talk with you and even pray with you about what God's doing in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and... You're like, dude, I, I don't even, how can I honor Jesus at work? Like, I don't even know who Jesus is. The reality is that all of us, apart from Christ, none of us can do anything good apart from Christ. All of us are broken and sinful human beings, but you can have a relationship with Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sins because Jesus came to this earth, lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, and three days later rose again. If you will turn from your sin and turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to place my faith and trust in you. And I want you to be in charge of my life because I believe in who you are. That he will, if you do that, he will save you. Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, I need you. I want to turn from my sin and turn to you. And the reality is that when you turn to him and experience forgiveness and hope and love, he not only just forgives you and cleanses you, he gives you a new purpose. So you can begin to say, I have more purpose at work than just showing up and punching it in my clock or whatever. Like, I, I can live for the one true King Jesus. He's worth living for. So if you want to talk about what it means to know Christ, we we'll back there. We'd love to talk with you as well. And one other thing I, I want to say, uh, because if I don't say it now, I don't know I would say it. There's actually a conference here in Lubbock called Kingdom at Work. Um, so that you know, I'm like, so you're not like, wait a second, I'll just 
pull my cards to the table. Uh, it's, it's put on by some folks, uh, I guess you could say associated with Beaten by Homes where my wife works. So um, I wanna put that out there, but I've been to Kingdom at Work. It's a phenomenal conference that talks about how, how can we help people see the king, the kingdom in our work? So if, if you're a leader, someone in business, whatever, and you've had a hard time seeing the connection between work and the kingdom, I wanna recommend that conference to you. Um, I think there's even one coming up in October, I think there's like 20 seats left, but I re- recommend that to you to encourage you to bring the kingdom to work. Um, all of us can do that. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna sing some more. God, thank you for uh, and the fact that you care about every aspect of our life. God, I pray that we would be bold and courageous and wise and intentional about living out our, out our faith at work and in school. And then we realize that a huge component of that, component of that is just giving our best, giving our all. God, may we do it not to please people, not to make much of ourselves, but to, to live for you, to make much of you. God, we know we're never gonna have that desire, never have that heart, never have that motivation if, you're, if you are not our first love. So God, I pray that even as we sing these songs, you would stir, like Cole said earlier, our heart, our affection for you, that we would desire to serve you. We would desire to make much of you in everything we do. God, that we would stand for you even when it's tough, even when no one in our department, when no one in our class even acknowledges that you exist, that we would stand boldly for you. God, please speak to us, move in our hearts during this time. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 